with such a moving and inspirational piece today as we continue our worship together. Our text today is from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 5, verses 21 through 24. A little bit longer of a section, but focusing on verses 21 through 24. And I'll prompt you when we read together. So put a bookmark there and be ready in a little bit. I want to tell you a story about some friends of ours good friends for many years, were awakened in the middle of the night by the sound of rushing water, and they discovered Niagara Falls in their upstairs bathroom. The water had been running for hours before they were awakened and devastated most of their home. There was even water pouring out of the light fixtures in the kitchen. It had made its way down their stairs and to the living room, the dining room, and all, all uh, the first floor. It was just a mess. And you'd have to ask how this could happen just all of a sudden. And that's just it. It didn't happen just all of a sudden. They learned that the toilet tank in the upstairs hall bathroom had a crack in it. Apparently, sometime previously, they had their bathroom linoleum replaced, and whenever the toilet was removed to do the work and replaced, the tank and all was over-tightened down to the base of the commode, and the crack just worsened the longer that it was there with stress placed upon it until there was nothing more to keep it together and it broke apart and the pressurized water just went everywhere. Thousands of dollars worth of damage resulted from something that will probably cost two or three hundred dollars to fix. Had they known about it ahead of time, certainly they would have had it repaired, and it would have avoided a whole lot of expense and inconvenience. Unresolved anger and hate are like that. If we allow anger and resentment and hate to build, they have the potential to cause a flood of hurt and residual damage in our relationships. So we have to choose whether we're going to seek reconciliation and ignore or ignore the anger and just hope for the best. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus taught his disciples that reconciliation was more important than any single act of worship or sacrifice that they would bring. Later, the Apostle Paul would send the same message to the Corinthian believers, and you heard that passage read earlier in the service. Christians are ambassadors of reconciliation. We are ambassadors of reconciliation. And I would submit that before we can be people of reconciliation in our communities, truly working for racial reconciliation and other relationship building, 
we've got to be doing that right work here in the fellowship. So Jesus first gives this mandate to his disciples who would then teach that to the other disciples and it would become part of the fabric of the early church. So let's read about this mandate we've been given today as we turn to chapter 5 in Matthew's gospel starting at verse 21. Jesus said, You have heard it said that it was said to the people long ago, You shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Therefore, verse 23, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there, remember that your brother or sister has something against you. Leave your gift there in front of the altar. First, go and be reconciled to them. Then come and offer your gift. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Did you hear the mandate? We have a mandate for ministry with a message. A mandate from Jesus with a ministry for a ministry with a message. First, the mandate, and we skip to verse 24 where Jesus said, Go and be reconciled. A literal translation is, Get reconciled. The New International Version, go and be reconciled. The Message Version, which is paraphrased by Eugene Peterson, go and make things right. In the Amplified Version, go and make peace with your brother or sister. Jesus did not say, maybe if you all think about it, if it crosses your mind, you would go and be reconciled. If you, if you think about it, make peace with your brother or sister. He didn't give it as a suggestion. He said, go and be reconciled. Get reconciled. Strong words. Much like Jesus said, go therefore into all the world and make disciples. That wasn't a suggestion. Oh, by the way, if you think about telling someone about me, it was a command. Same way. It's the imperative mood of the Greek verb. The verb in the Greek is dialazo. It means to change, to change the mind of someone or to renew a friendship. The prefix dia on the front of lazo is actually referred to the number two. It has the implication of change between two, and we would say more people, two or more people. The verb denotes mutual concession after mutual hostility. In other words, to reconcile is to seek to make peace. The word reconcile in 2 Corinthians that you heard read earlier is a slightly different variation of the same verb, and it is often used in finances where we are changing um, making sure that the money reconciles, that the coins all balance 
out in a ledger sheet or in, in, in business, if you will. But Jesus is using this word here to help people come together after there's been some break in the relationship to make peace, to make shalom with one another. As Jesus began his teaching in the Sermon on the Mount, he assumed a role of superiority or a tone of superiority over the Mosaic regulations from the Old Testament book of Exodus and Leviticus and Deuteronomy in particular. He set out to prove this by using six different illustrations or examples in the early part of the Sermon on the Mount following the Beatitudes. Jesus went further than the law itself and probed deep into the human heart. And the very first example he used was from the Sixth Commandment, where the Bible says, do not murder. Jesus certainly wasn't doing away. He said, I did not come to do away with the law, but to fulfill it. He wasn't doing away with the Sixth Commandment, but rather he knew that beneath the act of murder was the condition of one's heart. It was anger and hate and resentment that had festered in one's heart that led them then to take that person's life. Jesus is teaching the disciples that they need to be aware of the condition of their heart. If you flip to Luke's gospel, 6th chapter, verse 45, you'll hear these words. Jesus said, Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. In James and Colossians, this same understanding, James 1.20, human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. And then Colossians 3.8, Paul writes, but now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. But Jesus is saying, all of this is an overflow from what's in our heart. One commentator suggests the following. Jesus' words are not to be turned into a new legalism. Rather, they are to be understood as radical protests and warnings against wrong feelings toward one another. Have you, I have, have you ever let stuff fester in your heart? Maybe, maybe it's, and sometimes it's not a big deal, but we've let something get to us and it creates a barrier or a gap between our relationship. It could be marriage relationship. It could be parent-child. Uh, I remember Dr. Bill Wilson, when he was here working with us in our biz thing, he, he said that there is a, an increased emotional cutoff between parents and their adult children in our society where a lot of them aren't speaking to one another. And there's something that's happened that festers anger, resentment, or whatever, and it causes the relationship to be cut off. And so Jesus is helping the disciples to understand that the relationship is the most important thing. If people can be right in their relationships with one another, then that is a way that they are modeling being reconciled to God. Jesus meant for these words to be heard by Christian sisters and brothers. Yes, we want other people to learn this, 
but he focused his message and the Sermon on the Mount to his disciples and the crowds who listened. He is un- it, we are to understand that anger and contempt are not only self-destructive, but they destroy the fellowship in the church. I believe that's why Jesus gave this message very early on, the first of the six in the Sermon on the Mount. Can you imagine the disciples hearing this? Jesus, are you saying that if we, I mean, we, we might have walked three days from Galilee to the temple. Temple is the model that Jesus, this is what he's saying. So we've walked all the way from Galilee. I've got my two pigeons, my goat, and my grain offering. And, and you're saying that if I get there and I, I go through the court of the Gentiles and the court of the women and the court of the priests, and then finally I arrive at the altar and I'm ready to hand my sacrifice over as an act of worship to the priest, and you're saying that if I suddenly remember there's something in my heart, uh, maybe against a sister or brother that they did to me or even I did to them, that I'm supposed to leave my offerings there do you know how hard it is to keep pigeons and goats in one place? And, and I'm supposed to walk three days back to Galilee and find my friend or family member and make peace with them and then go all the way back? I mean, can't I just go ahead and give the offering and get it over with, put the check in the plate and have that box checked and, and then go deal with the thing? And Jesus is saying, absolutely not. And in his word, he says, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Jesus said in Matthew 9, 13 and in Matthew 12, 7, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Jesus is elevating the relationship over the offering, over worship. We can't worship God until we are right with one another. Jesus said before we even try to worship, we got to get right with each other because Christians are family. And sometimes, like in our, you know, each one of us got stuff in our family that we, you know, we might bring into the uh, marriage or bring into that friendship relationship or bring to the church. And we've got to figure out how we can reconcile and get along and be at peace with one another. And Because in church, often, we're going to be here for a long time with each other, decades sometimes. And often we gather slights and hurts, we harbor wounds and grudges, and we let them fester. And before too long, there's Niagara Falls in the hallway bathroom. Let me qualify very, very briefly, but I want you to hear this. Because reconciliation is a mandate that Jesus gave us. We've got to be at peace with one another. We've got to be peacemakers. But sometimes there are relationships that are perhaps not safe for us or healthy for us where we can't pursue reconciliation. We can't go back there because... It may be unhealthy or unsafe. 
And we would need a, a professional counselor or other helper to guide us through the things that we're experiencing in our heart so that we can find peace and somehow move on but not subject ourselves to the toxicity of that unhealthy relationship. And I use the example often when I meet with people for counseling, and I'm not a counselor, I, I'll meet with people a few times and then make a referral, but that limited counseling. I, I pull that story from the, the, the gospel of where Jesus is on the cross and he looks out at those who are crucifying him and he says, Father, forgive them for they not know what they are doing. I looked up the word Father, forgive, and the verb forgive in the Greek is an imperative verb. So Jesus is on the cross, he's being crucified, and he looks at his torturers, and then he looks to the heavens and he says, Father, you forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. In other words, Father, this is your work because as a human, as one who has subjected himself to the fullness of human suffering, I can't go there. I, I need you to intercede on my behalf to do the work of forgiveness. There may be situations where we have been so wounded that we, like Christ, say, Father, you got this one. You're going to have to handle it because I can't. And I believe God's okay with that. If Jesus said that, I believe that it's something that can be helpful to us to But reconciliation is part of who we are. God reconciled the world in Christ Jesus' death on the cross. And through believing and trusting our faith in Jesus Christ, placing our faith in Jesus Christ and seeking his forgiveness, that we are made right or reconciled to God and also have the opportunity to be reconciled to others. Reconciliation should involve repentance, uh, a sense of I am deeply sorry for what I did and I, I, I apologize and I want to make it right and I'm, I'm, by the grace of God, I'm not going to repeat that. There needs to be confession and an attempt of restoration seeking to be right with others as we are right with God. An example of this on a much simpler level, I heard recently as Pastor Andy Stanley and his wife Sandra were interviewed on a podcast. Uh, Andy is the pastor down at North Point Church in Atlanta, Georgia, and they have three adult children, two sons and then a younger daughter. Well, back when the children were like grade school age, Andy and Sandra went out on a date night, and they had a babysitter come over to watch the children. And when they got back from their date night, they went and said to, the, her name was Julie, uh, Julie, how things go tonight? A and then she said, well, and you can imagine what transpired next. Things did not go so well. The two boys, the olders, gave Julie a run for her money. They were rude. They were disrespectful. They wouldn't listen. They didn't go to bed like they were supposed to and all of that. And so the Stanleys paid Julie 
a bonus that night and thanked her for what she had done. And the next morning, they woke up the two boys much earlier, and they said, get your wallets and go down to the kitchen table. And when they got to the kitchen table, there were note cards waiting for them. And they said, the parents, we want you to, we understand that things did not go so well last night with Je- Miss Jesus. That, and that we, we heard that you didn't listen well and that you were disrespectful to her. And so uh, we're requesting that you write a note of apology to her saying exactly what happened and that you're very sorry. Do we have to? Yes. And so they wrote the notes, and then they said, all right, get your wallets, and let's get in the car. And they woke up the younger sister, and they all went to Publix. And at Publix, Sandra said they told the boys to go buy a a bouquet of flowers for Miss Julie with their own money. And then they drove to her office, where she worked during the day, and went up and walked into her office, and the two boys had to apologize to Miss Julie, and then they handed her the bouquet of flowers. Now, Miss Julie was so gracious, gave big hugs and everything, and she hadn't really thought any more about it after the night before, but it was a, a wonderful learning lesson for the children. And as adults, they reflect back on that experience, and they're grateful that they were taught to treat others with dignity and respect, to be responsible for their actions, and always work toward making things right because relationships matter to God. This is true for all Christians, that we work toward making things right, both in the church and in the world around us. This is sure to please God. The psalmist said, how good and pleasant it is when God's people dwell in unity. Psalm 133, verse 1. That's the mandate. That's the most important part of the three, the mandate and then ministry and message. Jesus gave the mandate to be reconciled to one another. Paul picks up on this in 2 Corinthians, and I'll start at verse 18. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ not counting people's sins against them, and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Jesus gave the mandate. Paul picks up and says it's a ministry. And the word he uses to translate into ministry is the same word that means deacon. It's to serve. So we have been given a ministry to serve one another as ambassadors of reconciliation, to bring peace in the body of Christ and in our world. And then it says the ministry bears a message. And the Greek word translated message here by Paul is logos. It means a word, a teaching, a doctrine, that which is given by God, a process or a set of instructions that we are to go with this message as a ministry to teach about the mandate, the mandate being to be reconciled to one another. And we do this because in Christ, 
Paul writes that we are a new creation. The old is gone. The new is come. All this is to say that we are ambassadors for Christ. Here at HRBC, we have adopted a new North Star guiding statement. It's the filter, should be the filter for all that we do. Loving, understanding, and empathizing with our community and the world. Loving one another as Christ first loved us. And how much did he love us? He died for us on the cross. Loving is sacrificial. Understanding means that we are willing to sit at the table with someone we may differ with and to hear them and to try to bring that relationship together. We may have to agree to disagree, but the other person has been heard and we are seeking peace together. And empathizing is to seek to walk in their shoes, to have a real sense of where they have been and what their needs are. Like Christ, we actually enter into their pain to be a friend. So how do we put this into practice? What are some practical steps? We can learn from John Newton, the 18th century Anglican cleric and abolitionist, former slave ship captain, and writer of the great hymn, Amazing Grace. And every Saturday at 6 p.m. to prepare for Sunday, he did three things. One, he made two lists. A list of all God's blessings he had received that week and a list of all of his sins of commission and omission. Things he knew he did wrong and things that he may have left undone. The second part was to reflect on the gap between the two. The discrepancy between God's blessings and graces and his sinfulness and behavior. And he knew that bridging that gap required God's grace and that he was saved by Jesus' works, not his own. And the third part was an actual intentional rededication of his life, a refreshing, a deepening of his commitment to God and God's promises. Maybe those steps will be helpful for us as we seek to be ministers of reconciliation, ambassadors for Christ, because we have a mandate for ministry with a message. Perhaps today or sometime this week, you'll sit down and spend some time focusing on God's blessings and where you may have fallen short. And to pray about that gap and give it to the Lord as an act of sacrifice, pleasing to God. And recommit your life to following Jesus as an ambassador of reconciliation. Amen. Would you bow?